We've been studying through the Gospel of John now for some time, and I love it so much, I'm thinking about starting it all over again when we finish. I'm just kidding. <laughs> we, we understand that there's a lot in the Bible, and that one of our goals in life needs to be to study as much of it as we can, and, and that sort of thing. I just happen to love the Gospel of John for a lot of reasons, and like we said last week, one of the unique things about John is there's so much of the book uh, that describes the events of the Passion Week. It's, 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 it's of all the Gospels, it focuses more on the Passion Week. The, that's the last week that Christ spent on earth than any of the others do. Another thing unique about it is this, is he dedicates five chapters, 13 through 17, to the words and actions of Jesus during the Last Supper. Five whole chapters. And that's where we, we've started there just uh, last week, and we're going to be there this week as well and in the weeks to come. And I just wanted you to, to understand that. that this, this is obviously really, really important. It was important to John, so much that John that he, he committed almost a quarter of his book just to this particular period of time. It's very important to him. It's very important to us. There's a lot of teaching that takes place here, and it's not so much teaching in large gatherings and that sort of thing as Jesus very often did, but it's teaching, it's private teaching between him and his closest disciples. And I would challenge us with the more, the, this this morning. One of the things we need to get out of the text that we're about to, to read is this. is Jesus not only taught them in his words, but he also taught them in his actions. It wasn't just doing what I tell you to do. It is doing as you see me do. Jesus was undoubtedly the most unfairly treated person who ever lived. But let's read from John this morning. But one of the main things, and the reason I say that is so we'd realize that he did what he did for sinners like us. It's the most amazing thing. The gospel is the most amazing thing that any person could ever hear. And we can't take it lightly. And we need to think about it constantly. And it needs to truly be reflected in the manner in which we live our lives. Chapter 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour uh, had come to depart, out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is an expression of Jesus' love, what follows. 
During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scriptures would be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent A most amazing story. As we said before, Jesus was undoubtedly the most... Uh, can't even come up with the words to describe how, you know, the, the, you, you know, he came into a world that absolutely hated him and... Um, you know, and he, re- he received not what he had coming to him, not what it was really due to him. He received hatred and, he, and that sort of thing, from, not from everyone, but from a lot of people. He was the most persecuted person to ever live. Some of us, maybe, maybe we feel like we've really been persecuted in our lives, but reality is Jesus received persecution in a, in a, of a magnitude that none of us ever do. And Jesus didn't deserve any of it. The fact of the matter is this, is the difficulties that come our way in this life always have to do with the fact that there's a sense in which it's absolutely what we deserve, what we've earned for ourselves. Jesus deserved nothing but good, always and absolutely in everything. And all the bad that fell upon him was a result of his association with sinners like us. That we share 
Now, we can't sit in a distance and say, oh, you dirty, rotten, nasty Pharisees. How scribes, how could you be that way? This, that, and the other. We need to understand that we share in the trial and tribulation of Christ. And when we think about it, you know what? It ought to break our heart every time we do. Break our heart anew. As we just think about the last couple of days, maybe even the last hour, and ask the question, where really has our heart been? It should bring a tear to our eyes. Remember, Jesus wept. He wept because of our sins. There's a place for us to continually weep for the impact that our sins had upon him. One of the most amazing things is that people that endure the type of treatment that Jesus endured are typically embittered by it. And as they're embittered by it, they tend to take it out on other people. That's not the example that we see in Christ at all. He humbly accepted all of it. He took it on the chin and he turned the other cheek for you and for me. I could imagine that there were times when Jesus was very frustrated with these 12 guys. Sometimes I think they ought to be called not the 12 apostles or disciples, but the 12 stooges. They don't seem to very, very often get things right, do things right, say the right things. Well, I don't imagine that most people give a whole lot of thought to feet. But they really are a very important part of our anatomy. They are what enables us to move from place to place. That's important. We live in a special time today because there's a sense in which you and I are not as dependent upon them as most of our brothers and sisters down through the history of the world have been. In the days of Jesus, people like him and the social stature that, that he represented, their normal way of getting from anywhere to anywhere was walking. Why was there a donkey brought for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem that day? It's because Jesus didn't have a donkey to ride on. Jesus walked from Galilee to Judea, to Galilee, to Judea, who knows how many times. My first trip to Uganda brought some surprises my way. Because I can tell you this, you know, if, if, if there's anything in my life that's come close to entering into the kind of culture, etc., that Jesus lived and moved in, it was those times in Uganda. 
place today that by most standards, it, it, once you get out, you know, the city's pretty mo modernized. Kampala is. I mean, there's vehicles all over the place, and they have electricity most of the time, and, you know, this, that, and the other. But the further you get out, the more primitive conditions get to be. And there were some things that we experienced, because when Lori and I went, where we went was out in the bush. We were only a stone's throw away from Zaire. We were, we were as deep in Uganda as you can possibly get in Uganda. But one of the things that surprised me was how many people walked around barefoot all the time. And I'm not talking about one or two. I'm talking about the majority of people. Walk around barefoot, no shoes at all, no sandals, no nothing. It's a measure of just how poor these people are. Something like a pair of sandals is an absolute luxury to these people. When it comes to putting shoes on your feet or food in your belly, which one are you going to choose? For many years, Dick and Barb Johnson oversaw the orphan sponsorship program where people here in the States gave their money to pay for tuition fees for kids so they could go to the school in Busoro in Uganda. Lori and the kids participated in that program when the kids were home and supported a little girl named Jessica for years who I had the opportunity of meeting when I was there with Dick and Barb back in 2009 or 10 or whenever it was, many years ago now. And I was able to have a couple of meals with her and spend a little time with her. And, and at one point in our conversation, I asked her, I said, if, if there's anything that you could have that I could give to you, what would it be? And the first thing she said was, I want you to take me home with you. <laughs> you just had to say that, didn't you? <laughs> but we talked for a little while longer. I said, well, tell me something that, that you really, really want that you have never had. She said, I want a pair of shoes. See, that's hard for you and I to even relate to because how many pairs of shoes have you had in your lifetime? How many pairs of shoes have you got sitting in your closet right now? How many pairs of shoes have you got sitting in your closet you haven't even worn in years? This is so hard for you and I to relate to people that live under those circumstances. We were at Uganda the first time, Lori and I, we, we went to a worship service. It started like at 8.30 in the morning and went to like 12.30 or 1 o'clock. So don't gripe and complain about services here too long. I mean, it literally went on for hours. And when it came time to leave, you almost had to run people off. Nobody wanted to leave. But one of the things that we noted was this, is as the service began, there were just a few, a handful of people there, you know, and then it went on and it went on and went on. And by the end of the service, the room was just jam-packed full of people. 
So, you know, thinking about things, not really in the context in which we were in, but just, just wondering. I was curious, why is it so many people come to church late? Because the vast majority of them were just a little late. They were, they were an hour later, sometimes two or three hours late. They'd get there right before the service ended. And you know, you're thinking this must not be very important to them, that it's just something they just kind of do. It's just not on their list of things that are of great importance. So I started talking with one of the, the missionaries. First thing he said was this, you need to understand, they don't have watches. They tell time by the sun. So they're going to be off a few minutes one way or the other all the time. The other thing is this, is you don't understand something. Some of these people walk 20 miles to come to church. Let me ask you something. If you had to walk, if you had to walk a mile this morning to come to church, would you have done it? Some of you would. Probably most of you. Maybe all of you would. But we just, we live in this world that has isolated us from the reality of, of the world that the rest of the world lives in, or so much of the rest of the world lives in. We begin to believe that people have all the benefits and the privileges and et cetera that we have. But they just don't. Twenty miles to come to church. Another thing I noticed in Uganda was was very often, you know, all these barefoot people going around, often some of them had lost some of their toes, if not all of them. It's not unusual to see someone walking around with no toes at all. And that's due to chigger infections, these little bugs that get into their feet. Now, why am I saying all this? It's nice that there's, a, there's a need to take care of one's feet. They're important. And this is an area where the ancient Near East can be compared to places like Uganda today. Jesus in all humility, washes these men's feet. One of the most amazing things about all of it is this, is, is, uh, is Jesus knows this, that Satan has already put in the heart of Judas what he's going to do to betray him. And Jesus didn't skip over Judas. He washed the feet of the man who was about to betray him. Jesus makes it very clear that what he's doing here is setting an example for them to follow. He came to Simon Peter, and Peter refused to let him do it. That would be in me. And I would imagine that would have been most of you. How, no, there's no way, Lord Jesus, you're going to wash my feet. That ain't going to happen. You can just forget about that.
Another amazing thing about it is this, is Jesus was what was called a peripatos, which means a walking teacher. He walked from place to place to place. And he wasn't the only one that was doing that. There were other people doing the same thing right about the same time, not teaching the same things that Jesus was teaching, but there were other people that they had, they, they gathered groups of students around them and they traveled from place to place like this. It was a common thing. But part of their agreement was this, was the students were going to benefit from the teaching of the teacher but at the same time, it was the responsibility of those disciples to look after the needs of the teacher, to take care of him. What I'm telling you is this, is one of those men should have been doing what Jesus was doing, and none of them intended to do that. Because they thought they were too good for it. They thought it was beneath them to do something like that. So Jesus does what one of them should have been doing already. I mean, are there things that you think are beneath you? I've heard people's people have said this to me. They said, Pastor, I'll do this, that, and the other, whatever you ask me. But if you ask me to do that, I ain't doing it. Do you understand that as Christians, we have no rights and privileges to set boundaries on what we will do and what we won't do? Period. We do it all the time. <laughs> Very often, you know, as being part of a church, we do things uh, to serve as uh, other people here that benefit the rest of the body. And there are people in this room that do a whole lot. There are people in this room that do a lot more than some people even have any clue that they do. They, have, they do a lot more than even I have a clue that they do. And very often they do it in humility because they don't want, they don't want praises from people. They, don't, they would rather people not even know what they are doing. So there are a lot of church people that do stuff. But let me tell you something. It is a rare thing to come across someone who is willing to do anything and everything that needs to be done. In other words, we establish boundaries. I will do things that fit in this category, but don't you dare ask me to do something that fits in that other category because I ain't going to do it. A couple of examples from the past. This is a distant past. People, some people here may know who I'm talking about, but most people don't have a clue who I'm talking about. There was a family here years and years and years ago, and I was talking to, to the father-husband one day, 
And I had noted that they never really, they, they had a big family, and they never really helped to do anything. You know, when tables need to be set up, they would stand there and watch everybody else do it. When chairs need to be moved, they'd just they'd do whatever they're doing and kind of ignore what was going on. So I asked him about it. Well, he told me it was this. He said, well, you know, we used to do those things. The other church we went to, the church we went to before, we used to do all that kind of stuff. We came here, we just decided we'd let everybody else have the joy and pleasure of doing it. There was another family that when we had the, we were still meeting down at the community center. We would have brunch, and it was a huge, it was a big family. And they would, they would, they would have a whole table to themselves, and they would eat, and they would eat, and they would eat. And as soon as they finished eating, they'd get up and they'd leave. They never, ever lifted a finger to clean anything up, ever. Laurie and I were on a cruise one time, and you know, the, the, the first night they, they assign a table for you in the dining hall, and you know, you go, and you're there with a bunch of people you don't even know, you've never seen before in your whole lifetime, and so you're having these conversations going on, and people are talking one this time about, you know, what do you like about cruises, and one of the ladies says, I love to be served. I'm here because... They do everything for me, and I just love to be served. I wanted to throw up. <laughs> we didn't go back. <laughs> we ate at the buffet all the, every night after that. <laughs> but see, there's, a, there's that mentality, and it's, and it's important for, for Christians to acknowledge that sometimes we have that mentality that we think other people are supposed to do everything for our benefit. And they're not to have any expectations for us. But this is not the Christian way. It's not Christ's way. We're the ones who do what other people refuse to do. We have lots of interesting titles. Son of God, daughter of God. Child of the living God, the elect, we're called disciples. Sometimes men are called deacons and elders. And some of us have very special callings. And very specific titles. But I just want to challenge us with the idea that this morning that every one of us has many titles in common and one of those happens to be foot washer. Those who will do what others think is beneath them. Paul describes in 1 Corinthians the church as being like the human body, that all these different parts work together for the common good of the whole. That every member of the church has a part to play, has something to contribute. And if they don't play that part, and they don't contribute that, the body 
as a whole suffers as a result of it because either one or two things are happening. One is that is someone who's not gifted like they are to do this particular thing is doing it and not doing it near as well as they would. Or it's just simply not being done at all. Jesus did this as an act of love for his disciples to show them in real and practical ways how much he loved them. And what we see pictured in it is the fact that his love far for them far exceeded, far exceeded their love for him. They should have been tripping all over each other to do this. Everything that Jesus did for 33 years, roughly 33 years here on the earth, he did in service to us. Nothing was too low for him to do. Jesus, even now, is serving you and I. He is our representative in the heavenly places. When our name comes up in heaven, he's there speaking on our behalf. We have to be careful not to buy into this this retirement mentality that is so pervasive in our culture today. The idea that you live your life, you do your job, you raise your family, this, that, and the other. But a time comes when you get to retire. And there's nothing wrong with that as far as our, prof our professional employments go and that sort of thing. But let me tell you something. We never retire as Christians. Ever. There is no retirement age that we get to in the church where now we're not supposed to do anything or we don't have to do anything. We only do what we want to do. That doesn't exist in the church. You and I are supposed to be doing anything and everything we can do until we breathe our last breath. Not for our own benefit, but for the benefit of the brothers and sisters around us that we love so dearly. Being a Christian means sacrifice. It means doing stuff that you don't like. Sometimes. Sometimes, I think God gave us all of these wonderful plants and gardens out here to keep me humble. Maybe going, why that? Well, it's partly because of this, and it's, it's because those things are really beautiful as long as they're taken care of. But when they're not, they become an eyesore. 
You've heard me say this before. When I was a kid, my parents used to come up with all kinds of ways to punish me that they knew it would hurt really bad and it would linger for a while. (laughs) And one of those was to weed the flower beds. I hated it. I abhorred it. But I did it a lot. Deservedly so. I told Carolyn last week, I said, she was gone one day, and I said, I went out and got the mail yesterday, and it took me an hour. I had to walk by some weeds on the way. And I had to pull them. I don't think there's any. Do you know anybody that actually likes to pull weeds? <laughs> if there is a person like that, then, 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 then maybe there's a screw loose or something. <laughs> but again, you know, let me, let me say this. It's something very, very simple, a way that people can serve the church. Let me tell you, there should never be a weed in a bed in this, in this place out here at all, ever. But there are constantly. Because nobody likes to weed. Nobody does. Now let me just tell you a story. I learned this lesson early on at Seven Rivers. And this is one of the reasons why I actually tried to fight to have less plants here than we've got. Because what we did as the deacons is we came up with this plan. We're going to ask people to volunteer to take care of a particular flower bed or plant bed whatever it is and they'll sign up on this sheet and so they did it and people signed up every bed in the whole place was covered in the first month great results everything looked good second month some stuff really looked good some stuff not looking so good Three or four months down the road, you're wondering if anybody is taking care of their bed. We did the same thing here. And we got exactly the same result. People hate to do it. People think it's beneath them, that it's somebody else's job. So what are you going to do next time you walk by one of those beds and it's got weeds all in it? You going to ignore it? You're going to just just you, 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 you know what you're going to do? You're probably going to let me know about it so that I can make sure it gets taken care of. I mean, it, honestly, raise your hand in this room if you love to weed. Norma, you shouldn't have done that, dear. <laughs> but do you understand, this is just a little practical application of the principle that's being taught here. And that is, this is, 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 if we love the Lord, this is his edifice. We should take great pride and pleasure in this. And if that means reaching down and pulling a weed up every now and then, we should be tripping over each other to do it, not avoiding it like the plague. And let me tell you, it frustrates the deacons. 
because very often they have these these work days and we're not even really having them anymore you know why because very few people if anybody shows up anymore what a what an easy simple way to serve the church seriously now, I'm telling you, what we do is this. Is that this is my category. This is what I do. That's what I do. I do this, that, and the other. So-and-so's not doing something, so let them do it. That don't work here. We're all called to serve in every way you can imagine. Being a Christian is being a servant. The one who does what other people avoid, like the plague. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper this morning. A reminder. It's a reminder of how Jesus served us in his life and primarily in his death. You know, one of the things that should out should stand out is that there's just nothing was beneath him. Nothing. It is an act of love. And let me just tell you something. When you pull weeds as an act of love, there's a joy that comes in doing it that will not be there otherwise. I mean, this, this table represents a lot of things, but one of those is Jesus' ultimate service to you and I. Not washing our feet, dying on a cross for us. For that person, we should be willing and desiring and passionate about doing anything and everything we possibly can. Serving Jesus ought to consume our lives. Because our lives consumed his life. It took his life away. The praise team is going to come this morning and lead us in a hymn of prayer.